You're listening to the Paradigms Perspectives Podcast. Have you ever wondered, there has to be a better way to achieve my dreams and to achieve my goals and do it in half the time and half the stress? Well, that's exactly what we do on the Paradigms Perspectives Podcast. We give you tools, strategies, resources, insights, and different perspectives on different areas of your life. We also cover current events that are going on in the world as well to help you achieve those dreams and goals and half the time we have to stress. On behalf of the Paradise of Perspectives podcast, I would like to say thank you for taking the time out to listen to this podcast and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back for part three the final installment of Generational Development Warfare. If this is your first time listening to this podcast episode, please go back and listen to part one or installment one or part two or installment two so that you can give full contextual reference of where we are in part three. So let's get right into the final episode and installment of Generational Development Warfare. First up, Uncle Phil in Gen X, he mentions the goal of how to make $75,000 annually. So, of course, if you've been growing up in the United States of America, an expression African-American community, you know, after the boomer generation, you know, college was always supposed to be that gateway to a more prosperous and or a better life. And the first requirement for this is to go to college. So it was always, hey, you need to go to college, get a good job so you can take care of yourself. And that's what, you know, everybody was taught. So let's break that down. First off, go to college. Go to college was supposed to be this advanced educational resource that was supposed to show that you had additional educational um, achievement which would make you more qualified in the marketplace and with employers to increase your probability of getting employment with that employer. That was the goal of college. It was supposed to signify competency which getting a degree does not always signify competency. It just really signifies completion, but it doesn't always necessarily signify competency. Next, getting a good job. Jobs are based on skills, and skills are based on competency. Hence, if you've always heard me say, competency comes before compensation. So part of that going to college was you were supposed to get more competency so that in the marketplace you could have a higher level of compensation. So hence the go to college, get a good job. Now, it was also meant to be as a form of financial stability and maybe even financial security. And if you really get a good job, maybe even financial independence. And then, of course, with more development, that would be financial freedom. And the goal was 
that you were supposed to be financially independent in the sense that you as an adult or you as an individual, you can take care of yourself. So you're not having to worry about, you're not having to worry about leaning on family, friends, or the government. So that's how to go to college, get a good job, take care of yourself. That's how that works. And then that was what everybody was taught because everybody had aspirations. They wanted to do more. They wanted a better life. So that was supposed to be the system or the best path to achieve that goal. Now, Uncle Phil is selling the opportunity to make something of yourself. When he says, hey, you know, this is what you need to do and that you can increase your probability of making at least $75,000 a year or more. Now, there's more opportunity now than ever before and in the past. But I want to add this bonus to in this segment in the sense that that was because that was what everybody knew or that was what we've seen from others and that was and that was a success path based on that strategy. But now we're living in different times and with new and advanced technological advances in society. So I'll be the first one to tell you, I went to college. I have a college degree. And what I got from it was that I could have done without it. But it's what the D, it's what the degree represents. As I mentioned earlier, the reason why the whole college degree thing is because number one, it signifies completion. Number two, it signifies you know how to meet deadlines. Number three, it signifies collaboration. Number four, it signifies conflict resolution. And number five, it signifies negotiation. And six, it signifies leadership. So those are the qualities or those are the skills that you learn from getting a college degree. But you can still learn all six of those skills or, um, should I say, representations of that college degree without having to go to college. So uh, there's a whole lot more opportunity but the main thing, as I always say, is to get the competency. That's what you need to go after, is the competency. Because the competency will lead to the compensation, not necessarily the completion or the attainment of a college degree. Uncle Phil also continues with the whole infamous, the high school diploma versus the college degree. But it's also the correct college degree. 
because not all degrees are the same or not all degrees hold the same value in the marketplace. So there is different in opportunities when it comes to just having a high school diploma versus having a college degree. As I mentioned in the intro segment, you know, having a college degree, it symbolizes those six things. It symbolizes that you're willing to take your education and your professional development to the next level. And it signifies that you want to increase your competency so that you can increase your compensation and that you can increase your value to the organization. Because the organization wants to be able to monetize your competency and then in return, you're provided with compensation. As I always use Bob Iger, who has returned back to Disney, how I always use him as an example. Disney is a $40 billion a year organization. So because Disney makes $40 billion a year, they have no problem paying Bob Iger $40 million a year plus stock options. They have no problem doing that because the company generates $40 billion a year. Now, if the company probably only generated $40 million a year, then Bob Iger's salary would probably only be $4 million or even $400,000. But because it's $40 billion, they have no problem paying him $40 million a year. It's the same thing, too, with Steve Ballmer, the former CEO of Microsoft. Bill Gates and Paul Allen had no problem paying Steve Ballmer, you know, maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars in total salary, including stock options, when Microsoft was making $100 billion. So, of course, I mean, that's only a smart investment. If you have a company that's making $10 billion in gross revenue, of course you'll pay your CEO $100 million. It's a no-brainer. That's, you know, that's the least they can do. But not only that, it also saves on taxes because it's a payroll expense. But... It's considered an investment. So, yes, there's different opportunities uh, for people that just have a high school diploma versus a college degree. And like I said, it signifies uh, competency. It signifies more value. If you look at somebody, oh, this person has a college degree and this person has a high school diploma. Now, sometimes it can still be tricky because you can have a person that has the experience, but they may not have the degree. And the person that has the experience may be more qualified than the person that has the degree. But corporate, in certain companies have been conditioned to say, hey, okay, well, they have a degree, so let's go with the degree. 
And the reason for that is, is because of the whole completion thing. It shows that you know how to complete things. Yeah, you can get the experience and yeah, you can move up. And who knows, you might even know the right people. But by getting a degree or a certificate, it's third party validation. You're having somebody else validate your results. Versus if you just put that on your resume, and yeah, they may have, you know, be able to go um, do more research, but it's it's more of a credible source when it's a, a degree or if it's a certification, especially if it's perceived to be a more reputable uh, third party validation company. Now, you can still be successful with a high school diploma. It just means that the beginning of your journey is going to be more difficult. As we know, there's a lot of millionaires that don't have degrees. There may even be some billionaires that don't have degrees. So they, you know, they've had a learning through experience. But like I said, you still can be successful with a high school diploma. It just means that the the beginning of your journey is going to be more difficult. Because the degree is like an accelerated path to show that, once again, you know how to complete things. And sometimes in the eyes of the right employer, that completion can register in their minds as a competency. And because it does represent perceived competency, not skilled competency, that one of them will take more of a chance because you're less of a risk. Then they also feel that they can probably get more value out of it. So, like I said, you still could be successful with a high school diploma. It's just that the beginning of your journey is going to be a little bit more difficult. But if you persevere, you stay consistent, you remain patient, you can still achieve that success. Next segment, bad degrees and big debt. Yes, bad degrees and big debt. Kind of what I previously alluded to in the sense that not all degrees are the same, but you can also rack up big debt if you're not careful, if you don't have the right strategy. But also, it's really deeper in self-awareness as well. And it also comes down to passion and ambition for what you want to do. Because you can fall into the trap of doing something that you really, really love to do, but there's really not no marketplace for it. Or it may take advanced branding, marketing, networking, and advertisement to monetize that degree. But then again, on the same side, you could also... Get a degree that makes money and you can make a lot of money, but you can be miserable. You can burn yourself out. And you can start to have a lot of mental issues and mental challenges as well. So uh, the main thing is you just try to want to be self-aware and try to find that balance where it's something that you really like, something that you're passionate about, something that you want to really advocate for. And that you kind of somewhat enjoy, but you can also still make uh, a great income. 
So Uncle Phil goes on to say that Gen Z is wondering why they broke or why they're struggling. And it's because they got bad degrees and they got a whole bunch of debt to get this bad degree. But also, I want to talk about what I uh, previously mentioned as well, is that it also comes down to, like I say, branding and networking. You can get a degree in the arts, but it's how you brand yourself along with that degree. And that's where a lot of people go wrong. They get the degree, but they don't know how to brand themselves with the degree. Or they don't know how to pull out the, mon the monetizable components of that degree so that they can make a living from that degree. It's just more hobby-based. It's more passion-based. So it's the whole art versus science type of thing. And this is where the science is coming at with branding. Or if you have a history degree, but you're not branding yourself with the degree on how you can actually monetize that history degree or that humanities degree or that art degree or that music degree. There's no branding behind it. So, of course, it's going to be quote unquote labeled as a bad degree and you're going to have all this debt. Are you trying to figure out, okay, how am I supposed to pay for this? It's the same thing with film. You get a film degree, and it's a lot of film theory, and yeah, you may be able to find your crew and you know build your group of people that you potentially may want to make films with, but how are you branding yourself as a filmmaker? Or how are you branding yourself as a producer? Or how are you branding yourself as a screenwriter? That's what's not being talked about. And then two, networking. You have to use your... Also, how are you using this degree to build a network? Because that's really also too what it comes down to. Your network. Your network is very, very important. How good are you at networking? But networking will become easier if you get good at marketing. But marketing will become easier if you get good at branding. So that's how that works. So this is also why I'm talking about branding. And branding is the most important. I mean, entrepreneur Gary Vee talks about all the time. Branding. I mean, look at some of the biggest brands in the world. They brand themselves appropriately. But that's also because branding is long-term. Marketing is mid-term. And sales is short-term. I'll say that one more time. Branding is long-term. Marketing is short-term. Sales is short-term. Branding is long-term because branding is about decades. It's about longevity. 
It's about the continuation. The, the ideal goal is for the brand to be infinite. As long as possible. So, 100 years, 200 years, 300 years from now, as long as, you know, civilization is continuing. That's the goal of the brand. Marketing is midterm because marketing changes. It could be based on a campaign, or it could be based on a product, or it could be based on a service. So, it's short term, so it's going to change. The, the branding and the messaging should stay the same. Now, how you communicate that brand with the marketing, that will change based on the season and based on the economy and everything else that's going on. And then sales is short term. It's transactional. It's about how to influence and overcome your potential client's uh, objections or concerns. But this is why I say branding, and I agree with you, branding is more important than sales because look at it. The biggest brands in the world, they don't try to sell you. They use their branding to pull you in, and then they use their marketing to influence you. I'll say that again. They use branding to pull you in, and then they use their marketing to try to influence you, not to try to sell you. If you have good brands, you don't have to worry about selling. Like for me, I love Nike. I love the Jordan brand. It naturally just pulls me in. They don't have to sell me. I'm already in love with the brand. So they don't have to try to sell me, hey, buy the latest Nike shoe. Or, hey, buy the latest Jordan shoe. You don't have to sell me because the brand speaks for itself. The marketing speaks for itself. Just like with Gatorade. I mean, I don't drink Gatorade no more because of the sugar. Or maybe I may be able to drink uh, Gatorade uh, Zero, which they created it, you know, without the sugar. But I was a huge Gatorade fan growing up. I used to love Gatorade. I used to drink it all the time. They didn't have to sell me. They didn't have to send a representative to try to sell me on Gatorade. The brand spoke for itself. The marketing spoke for itself. So when you get good at branding and marketing, you don't have to sell people. Just like I was on LinkedIn earlier today and I saw it like Gary V says. And even... uh. Diddy said the same thing. The number one way to get good at sales is to don't sell. It's don't try to convince people. That's how you get good at sales is not trying to convince people. Like Gary Vee says, once he's in a meeting, if he's in a meeting and three, and three minutes in, they checked out, the meeting is over with. Like he said, he can use the energy to go have a conversation with somebody that does have some level of interest. And then his goal is to try to influence and raise their interest and see if there's a fit. Another thing is too, 
parents don't teach degree monetization. As parents, a lot of us have experience already with our degree. And we have experience in the marketplace. So even if our... Well, maybe this also may come down to consciousness as well, but even if we have a child that get a certain degree, parents are not teaching kids how to monetize their degree. These kids are just getting degrees and they're getting this debt. And then they have no idea because their parents didn't teach them. But not only that, nobody else is teaching them how to monetize their degree. There's no teachers, there's no mentors, there's no coaches that are teaching people, hey, this is how you monetize your degree. Nobody's teaching this stuff. And then especially at scale, aka to the masses, so of course they're going to have these big degrees and this big debt. Because they don't know how to do it. Their parents are not teaching them. And then these teachers, these professors, these mentors, these experts, nobody's teaching them. So it's only right that unfortunately they have these quote-unquote bad degrees in this big debt. Academic scholarships. A great way to fund um, college. Now, most scholarships are usually athletic. Athletic, but there are the academic scholarships. But what I will say about academic scholarships is this there has to be academic application, and there has to be a better marketing as to why there should be more academic application to taking advantage of academic opportunities, such as academic scholarships. Because for me personally, I probably could have gotten some academic scholarships. Now, I did get some donations and some smaller scholarships that did help out initially with my first semester, but there are some uh, scholarships one in particular, Bright Futures, here in the state of Florida, which I wanted to get, but I didn't really take uh, testing very seriously. And because I didn't take testing very seriously, I had poor test scores on these big standardized tests, even though I had a high GPA, which prevented me from getting an academic scholarship which would have drastically improved my collegiate experience. But I did okay, though. But yes, there needs to be more application and better marketing and advertising of academic scholarships. And the reason why I bring this up is because just like the last time we were talking about big debt, you know, Uncle Phil talked about his daughter, about how she was able to get academic scholarships so that she was able to avoid the big debt, whether she got a good degree or a bad degree, but um, she avoided big debt by 
uh, getting academic scholarships. But like I said, that really comes down to academic application plus uh, great marketing on why students should take advantage of uh, academic opportunities such as scholarships. Now, the young African-American Gen Z young lady, she did make a great point. And she talked about Gen X getting upset or frustrated with Gen Z, but there was not enough teaching or full context to avoid this frustration or being upset. So she says, and I quote, you get upset when we don't know what to do, but you didn't teach, end quote. Now, there's a lot of truth in that. And that is very powerful. When she says, you get upset when we don't know what to do. And that can happen all the times as parents. It also happens with employers, with employees as well. It's like you have certain expectations or certain standards. And you want to hold people to this. But if you don't teach them how to meet that standard or meet their expectation, then I hate to say it, but that's just delusion. And she's right. Like I said, me being a millennial and experiencing all four generations, there's some validity to what she's saying. Because in my personal belief, I believe the boomers was the last teaching generation. I mean, some of us millennials are now starting to teach our children that is a part of Alpha. But when it comes to Gen Z, she's right. Because they did the same thing with us millennials. A lot of us were not taught certain things. So it's kind of hard. For you to want to hold me to a certain standard or to be frustrated with me when you never taught me. So she makes a great point. And with my experience as being a former corporate trainer, I had certain goals and I had certain expectations from my trainees. But I taught them and I trained them on how to get the result. And I made sure they kept notes for times when I needed them to complete a certain task or a certain goal. And I was not there to facilitate the actual execution of this goal. They had their notes, which was basically like having me there with them. But I taught them. And I trained them. So they knew what to do which would reduce my frustration and me being upset with them. But like I said, she got a great point because like I said, a lot of us millennials, we experience the same thing. 
we were not taught. We come to you for guidance. We try something and it don't work. And then now you're frustrated. And you're trying to figure out, well, why don't you know what to do? And it's like, well, you never taught me. But then it's the 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 the, the subconscious thing is which actually is pretty conscious, but they try to make it subconscious that yeah, I didn't teach them, but you need to know God, you need to know how to become resourceful. But it's not enough to have the resources if you're not resourceful or if you're not taught resourcefulness. So like I said, she makes a very valid point. But a lot of Gen X's won't want to acknowledge this. Like I said before, the whole reason why we even having this conversation and why we even having this warfare between Gen X and Gen Z is because of, like I said, the lack of accountability, lack of uh, responsibility on Gen X. You know, it's everybody else's fault. And it's like, hey, kind of like what Uncle Phil said, I believe in installment two. There's opportunity here. Why are you complaining about what you want? Why are you focus on the past? You should work focus on the present so you have a better future. But at the same time, I need competency and a good way to learn competency is to be taught. Like I may have mentioned before, there's three ways to get knowledge. Trial and error, research, and accelerators. Gen Z wants to use their parents as accelerators because you've already gone before me. So you were supposed to lay the foundation or the path. Now, what I do with that path, now that's my responsibility. So if you gave me a foundation, if you taught me, and now I'm frustrated with the results that I'm not getting, then yeah, now that's a me problem. That's an accountability problem because you taught me. But don't turn around and always have some criticism or have something to say about the generation when you didn't teach the generation. That's a lack of accountability on you. But like I said, Gen X, at least currently, don't want to have that conversation. Uncle Phil's response to the whole, well, we don't know nothing because you didn't teach. Well, he said that that Gen Z didn't try to learn anything either. So, yeah, Gen Z may feel like, well, you get mad, but you didn't teach us. But Uncle Phil says, okay, he's kind of partially trying to take responsibility and accountability, but he's like, okay, for the sake of the argument, let's just say we didn't teach you anything, and we do get upset, but you didn't try to learn anything either. So it's like, well, you want to hold me accountable, I'm going to try to hold you accountable. Now, to a certain degree, Uncle Phil is right. Gen Z should be more curious about learning and finding solutions to their <laughs> challenges and to uh, their adversities. But once again, this still goes back to Gen X 
dodging accountability and responsibility. Now, like I said before, in the previous segment about Gen X getting upset, I agree with Gen Z. A lot of Gen Xers, especially as parents, they do get mad at their children, in this case Gen Z, when they don't know nothing. But it's also like, if I don't know nothing, you didn't teach me, but you want to get mad at me? They're looking at it as, how does that make rational, logical sense? Now, on the other side, I also agree with Uncle Phil. It's like, well, you didn't try to learn anything. So, there's a difference in philosophy in the sense that Gen Z is like, I don't need, you ain't got to teach me everything. Just teach me the basics. Teach me the foundation. Once you teach me the basics, once you teach me the foundation, I can learn about patterns and everything else, and then I can take it further. But Gen X is like, well, look, you're not even trying to learn anything. And then you want to try to hold me accountable for everything? How does that make sense? I can't teach you everything about life, you know? There's some things in life you just have to learn on your own. So it's like, you need to learn stuff on your own. And I, like I said, I can see both sides. And I've definitely experienced what some of the things that the young African-American Gen Z females experience. Because my, like I said before, my mother is a Gen Xer. And yeah, I would have wanted, and I'm a millennial, yeah, I would have wanted a better foundation, but I was curious, so I went out and learned things. And even when I have, you know, conversations now and with my mother, and I'm in my mid-30s, my mother still tells me the same thing. Oh, there's just some things you have to learn on your own. But like I said, they're missing the point. We're not saying that you got to teach us everything under the sun. Once again, this is just all foundational stuff. Or as back in the day, they would say rudimentary. This is just stuff that should be given. But like I said, in this segment, um, I kind of agree with both. Yes, don't be mad at me because I don't know anything, but you didn't teach me. But at the same time, as I said before, we can't continue to blame our parents for everything. We also have to be curious. We also have to take responsibility as well. Like I said before, and I'll keep saying this, I was an inverse learner. So I was curious. I didn't like the results that my parents were getting. And because I was following those teachings, I kept getting those same results, and I did not like that. So I went the opposite direction and started getting better results. Now, that does not mean that you have to if you're a Gen Z and listening to this, that doesn't mean you have to go all the way on the other side to get the results that you may feel that are desirable. But just be open to that journey if need be. Future, how much responsibility or accountability, or should I say influence, does a parent have on a child's future? Well, I think it does play a part. Now, once again, if you didn't have the best parents in the world, that does not mean you can't be a success. But 
if you did have parents that were really focused and concerned about your future and that took the necessary action steps to ensure or to increase the probability of you having a better future, I would say it makes a big difference. And this is what the young Gen Z lady is saying. She's telling Gen X that, hey, look, you didn't set us up for success. She goes on to say, or should I say the inference that I made from what her statements was, is that you only set us up for basic survival. So between the survival paradigm that we're naturally born with at birth and then you being our parent, you basically only set us up for basic survival, food, clothing, and shelter. Because that is Gen X's number one counter argument is that, hey, look, I gave you food, you had clothing, and you had shelter. So at least be grateful that you had food, clothing, and shelter because it could have been worse. There are um, children that don't have no food, that don't have clothing, and that don't have shelter, you know, at least 80% of the time. So you should be grateful. So this is when the whole gratitude thing comes in that where it's like, hey, look, like, you should be grateful. Even if I only did set you up for basic survival, you should be grateful because not everybody got that. Like I said, I get that argument. But at the same time, that's what you're supposed to do. Right? Especially with Gen X being hard on others when it comes to accountability. So if a Gen Xer or if a millennial such as myself, right? If we came to our parents and we said, hey, we want to be compensated for every chore that we do. So you need to compensate me for cleaning my room. You need to compensate me for cleaning my bathroom. You need to compensate me for washing the dishes. If I wash the cars, I should be compensated for that as well. I should be compensated for taking out the trash. I should be compensated for washing my clothes. Gen X is going to be like, what are you talking about? That's the basic stuff for your survival. That's what you should be doing. I'm not paying you for that. It's the same logic. It sounds asinine, doesn't it? That's how it sounds to Gen Z when they say, oh, well, I gave you food, clothing, and shelter. But that's what you were supposed to do as a parent. Okay. Well, as a member of this family and as a child in this family, well, that's what you're supposed to do. So, that's, so like I said, that's exactly how that sounds to a millennial or to Gen Z when Gen X talks about that. So, and then the Gen Z lady also goes on to say, well, you set us up for failure. Now, when she said that, I'm, I'm, I'm indifferent, and here's why. 
what she said was not a lie. If you don't set somebody up for success, then you are setting them up for failure. Let's just be 100% honest. Because it's two sides of the same coin. So if I'm not being set up for success, then that means I'm being set up for failure because you didn't take the initiative to set it up for success. So... I mean, I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said that if you don't plan to succeed, then you plan to fail. Once again, two sides of the same coin. Now, however, just because your parents didn't set you up for success, that does not mean you have to be a lifestyle or even a lifetime failure. I'm going to say that one more time. Just because your parents didn't set you up for success, that does not mean you have to be a lifestyle failure or a lifetime failure. Because, yes, they didn't set the foundational bricks for success. But that does not mean that you can't build a house of success on your own. You just have to go out and be your own architect. So instead of getting the blueprints from your parents, you got to go out and build your own blueprints so that you can build your own house of success. So, like I said, that's why I'm indifferent. Because, like I said, what she said was not wrong. If you don't set them up for success, you set them up for failure. But once again, Gen X has this philosophy where it's like, I don't feel entitled or responsible enough to have to teach you things. Experience is the best teacher. There are going to be some things that I can't teach you, and I'm not always going to be around physically and also in spirit, which is true, right? That is true. There are some things you're going to have to learn to experience. Nobody can't teach you this. But at the same time, don't use it as a cop-out, as a scapegoat for not teaching at all or for not teaching the basics at all. This is just my personal belief. But as a parent, you should want to try to teach your child. And I said this before and I'll say it again. You should want to teach your child as much as you know. Don't coddle them. They still have to learn certain things. But you should try to want to do your best as you can. So that you can say, hey, you know what? I did give it them all. I did try to get them as much as I possibly could. I didn't really try to hold nothing back. But here's where the delusion comes in there. Because Gen X already feels that way. And they have not done that. So... They haven't done or given their children the best and teaching them their best insights. But they feel like, once again, because they gave them the basic survival, and they're like, hey, well, you're going to have to learn stuff on your own. And this comes up to my next point is because, like she said, because your parents did the same thing, referencing her boomer grandparents, Meaning that, okay, the boomers, 
who's the parents of Gen X. So because the boomers did not really teach or give full context to them, they feel like millennials and especially Gen Z, they feel like you're entitled. That's what it is. They feel like you're entitled and you're ungrateful. And the audacity. So you're entitled. You're ungrateful. You're unappreciative. And then you have the audacity to come to me and say what I'm not doing. How dare you? But they're adults now. And they have a right to talk about full transparency and full contact. And let's tell the whole story. Let's start with these one-way narratives. And like I said, sometimes parents don't want to be challenged on their ideologies or on their philosophies. Because especially if the child starts learning a lot and they get exposed to different experiences and different paradigms, then you don't want to go back to your parent and be like, well, hey, I just learned this. Why did you, why you never taught me? They're not going, number one, genetics is not going to have a conversation. Number two, they're going to try to shift accountability And then three, they're going to try to cover it up. Or they're going to try to downplay it in a sense that if you're over 25 and you come to them with, you learn something when you're 30 plus and you come to them, they're going to be like, why are you bringing this up? You're already grown. You're already out the house. You're already this. Why do you want to talk about this? They're going to look at it as a dead chapter. And they ain't going to be like, in the, in the United States, we have a common saying that let the dead stay dead. Meaning that, hey, look, that happened in the past. That was a long time ago. Why are you talking about this? Why are you bringing this up now? It's kind of like with family secrets. It's been this thing that's been passed on from generation to generation that nobody wants to talk about. But when somebody in the generation finally wants to talk about it and finally wants to understand everything, they're like, no, 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 we don't talk about that. Let's keep that quiet. That, that's, that's hush, hush. That's the same thing that's happening here. So, so those are my thoughts when it comes to uh, setting the next generation up uh, for success or some people may look at it and say, setting the next generation up for failure. This next segment is very, very interesting. And this is true. What we call the grandchildren treatment. So, the young, Gen Z young lady, she goes on to say, grandkids get better treatment than your kids. And it's true. I don't know about in other cultures, but in the African-American community, maybe even in the Hispanic community as well, since I consider us like 
cousins. But definitely in the African-American community, this is so true. The grandkids do get better treatment than their own kids. My mom have expressed this to me growing up. That my grandparents gave me better treatment than the treatment that she got. And I can definitely say that with my son in the sense that on both sides of the family, his grandparents definitely spoil him. They definitely want the best for him. And he's, and because he's also, he's the first and the only grandchild on both sides of the family. They, and he's a boy, they definitely do it well. So, yes, like I said, that is true. She didn't, there was no lies detected when she said that grandkids usually get better treatment than their own kids. Now, spoiling the grandkids, this is just my personal belief, spoiling the grandkids is a way to compensate for what they didn't do for their kids. So this is where the accountability now shifts. And like I said, because of pride, ego, and insecurity, the grandparent won't mention this. But if you really pay close attention, you can see this play out. So as the child, you're looking for compensation. Once again, with Gen X and Gen Z, right? Gen Z's looking like, hey, you should have done this or you could have done this for me. But when Gen Z has their children, which will be Generation B or Beta, Gen X is going to really show Beta a lot of grace, a lot of love. They're going to support They're going to do the stuff that Gen Z should have got is the things that Beta is going to get. And that's just their way of saying, hey, look, like I said, they're not going to tell you this, but that's what. This, but this is just what this representation, this is what this means, okay? So, yes, you're right. I could have done more to set you up for success. But because I didn't do it for you, I'm going to do it for your child. So see, that's how you're being compensated. You're being compensated because I'm going to make sure I set your child, my grandchild out for success. So there you go. You should be happy. And every generation is like, no. That ain't, I appreciate that, but that ain't how this works. You can't just skip generations like that. That, that that don't that don't sit well with me. That does not sit well with me. And I can like I said, I can see it now with me being a millennial and my son being 
Generation A or Alpha. It happens with my son. I see certain things on both sides of the family. Where it's like, they want to be extremely generous with my son and, and make sure he has certain experiences and contribute to this and contribute to that and, you know, uh, set him up with, uh, with bank accounts and everything else. And it's like, hold up. Y'all ain't do this for me. When uh, I was his age and his mother says the same thing. So, so yeah, uh, in the African-American community, they do that. But another thing that we also say in African-American is that grandparents can spoil the grandkids. Why? Because then they got to send them back home to their parents. And their parents got to deal with their facts. So, I give you two prime examples. Number one, money, right? Grandparents love to give grandkids money. They love to get them money. And then when the grandkids come home to the parents, like, where you got that from? Oh, grandma gave it to me. Grandpa gave it to me. You looking like, for what? Then you start to get back on your child and you're like, they wasn't that generous with me when I was growing up. Now, Jeanette's point of view can be like, well, why are you salty? That's my grandchild. I want them to have it. What's the problem? The problem is, is that why you didn't do that for me? Well, once again, let's move on from here. There's nothing to see. Type thing. So, and then now because, and then now the grandkid feel like they got a sense of authority. So because they got money, and then they had a conversation with the, with the, with the grandparent, and the grandparent's like, hey, that's your money, that's you spending when you go to the mall, when you go out, you want to spend it. Uh, tell 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 your mama, tell your dad you want to buy something. And then you, as a parent, you're looking at well, where you get money from? I didn't give you the money, so where you get the money from? And then that's when this whole uh, big reveal comes out. It's the same thing like we say too. You dope them up on sugar, meaning that. When they had grandmother or grandpa out, they get them all of this sugar. So they hyper, they bouncing off the walls. And then when you, the parent, come pick them up, now you got to deal with all that sugar rush. Because, like I said, they sending them home. But also, grandparents know that grandkids are the future. And they want to be actively involved in making sure that their grandkids experience the best life possible, even if they didn't do it for their own kids. Which is the main point in the theme of this segment. I'll say that one more time. And I'll say it more slowly. Grandparents 
know that their grandkids are the future and want to be actively involved in making sure that their grandkids experience the best life possible, even if they didn't do it for their own kids. They know that. It's a given. But once again, we also say in America, what is understood does not need to be said. I'll say that one more time. What is understood does not need to be what what is understood does not need to be said. Meaning there's nonverbal communication. And just based on that nonverbal communication, we know. And we understand what's going on in the environment. And we don't have to communicate that to each other. Our nonverbal communication speaks for itself. So, yes, that is the overall concept of the grandchildren treatment. Let's talk about karma for a quick second. The Gen Z young lady goes to and she says, now you want your kids to help you pay your bills. Oh, this right here is going to sting. This is going to sting a lot for a lot of Gen Xers. But it's so true. So let me get this straight. This is what Gen Z is thinking. Let me get this straight, right? Okay, so you don't want to be held accountable. You don't want to be held responsible for, for, for my foundation. Okay, great, cool. There's things I got to go out and learn on my own. Okay, cool. When you run into a hard patch with paying for your monthly expenses or for your lifestyle expenses, now you come to me and you want me to help you pay those expenses. Help me make that make sense. Now, once again, this is where the salty comes in, but with the opposite perspective. So now Gen X won't humble themselves. They're going to dare just like how Gen Z feels entitled. Now Gen X is going to feel entitled and say, hey, look, I raised you, and especially if it was a single parent, I raised you. Don't forget it was just me. I made sure you didn't go, here come the history report. I made sure you this, I did this, I did that. And you telling me you can't help me pay a lifestyle expense? The audacity of you. But that's how Gen Z feels. It's like, hold up, you didn't want to contribute to my foundation. But now that I might be doing better than you financially, at least in the interim, and I may have extra to help you out with, and now you want me to pay your lifestyle expenses or your bills? When you wasn't all the way concerned with me, remember, you just gave me food, clothing, and shelter. 
But you having hard times now? And I've, I've, I've experienced this with my parents. Both of them. I have experienced this myself. I had to go out and learn stuff on my own. Okay, cool. But then they'll come to me. Hey, can you help me out with this bill? Or, hey, can I, can you, I need $40 for gas. Or, hey, you know, you got 20 bucks. I'll pay you back. But it's funny, though. This is why reciprocity is so important. But this is also why sometimes you have to do reciprocity without any expectation. Because you're building up favors for later. In the sense that you want to try to do everything. So if your kids do hit, trust me, they're going to feel like they're indebted to you forever. Why? Because you went all the way out for them. You know how many parents they gave up, they gave their kids they all. They did everything. And that motivates the, the, the kids. Okay, cool. My mom, my dad wasn't able to do everything financially, but they gave me everything they had. Or they gave me almost everything they had. And them kids hit. They become a financial success and they hit big. Then they wind up retiring their parents 10, sometimes 15, sometimes 20 years early. Why? Because that child remembers everything that their parent did for them. So it ain't no problem, no expenses, whatever. Especially when it comes to mama. Everybody knows, especially in the United States of America, you take care of mama. If mama took care of you, you take care of mama. No matter what mama needs. Even if it's something that's going to set you back for a while and you got to, you know, you got to readjust your expenses. Hey, what mama want, mama get. Why? Because that's mama. Mama done took care of everything. If dad was always active, dad was always leading, teaching, and guiding, and dad fall on hard times, or dad need medication or whatever, then it ain't nothing. I'm going to make sure dad got what he need. And if it's medication, hey, I'm going to get him a six-month supply. Hey, I'm going to get him a year supply. But if you want them parents, which I hate to say, mostly happen in the African-American community, oh, yeah, you know, I gave him the basis, food, clothing, and shelter. And now you're going to have the entitlement and the audacity to come back and ask your kids and be like, hey, can you help me? Like I just said, that was in reference to Gen X struggling or falling on hard times, and now that and now they want their children that they didn't fully nurture and develop, who figured it out to help them in a time of need. I'll say that one more time. When when the young Gen Z young lady made that reference. And she said, oh, now you want your kids to help you pay bills. The contextual reference is that, hey, look, Gen X, you struggling or falling on hard terms. Now, the children that you did not fully nurture or develop, who figured it out 
Now you want them to help you in your time of need. Once again, as we say in modern times, make that make sense. Or the math ain't mathing. We do not have a balanced equation here. The left side of the equation and the right side of the equation don't add up. It don't make sense. So the karma or the karmic kids is unfortunate. But some of them ain't going to be so generous. And like I said, you want to do it. You want to help them out because they're your children. But you got to remember how you treat people. Especially the, the way you treat your kids. Because they remember. And karma call comes for us all. Just like those kids who take care of their parents in their later years. There's also kids that neglect or don't have relationships with their parents for the way their parents treated them when they were younger. I rest my case. This is also one of the things of this entire series, becoming parents. And when she said it, it makes sense. Because I'm not even going to lie, I feel the same way. Most children feel this way about their parents when they're dealing with certain challenges, certain adversities. But this is a fact. And this is a biological fact. She goes on to say, we did not ask to be here. You decided to become parents. I'm going to say that one more time. We did not ask to be here. You decided to become parents. That's right. And she's right. The Gen Z young lady, she's right. We ain't asked to be here. You decided to become parents. You decided to engage in adult activity. So now it's time to be an adult as a parent. But with parenting comes full accountability, which we already know. I've already discussed this at nausea. Gen X is the first generation that don't want to take accountability. Two, full responsibility. So when you become a parent, that's full accountability and full responsibility. But they don't like that. Then three, honesty. Be honest, man. Nobody's perfect. Nobody got it all figured out. Then just be honest about it. But you don't want to know why in general a lot of people ain't honest. Well, it really comes down to insecurity. And here's what I mean by that. It is rooted in the perceived perspective 
of the person that you communicated with. And it also comes down to their own internal identity. So let me explain internal identity for a second. Okay. People are not honest because their own internal identity is not where they like it to be. And they're not willing to make the effort to get there. But they're honest with themselves, but they don't want to be honest with others. But that's also rooted in the perceived perception of me. I want you to always keep me in high graces. I want to always have authority. I always want to have influence. But if I be completely honest with you, especially when I make a mistake, or especially when I don't always perform at a high level, then I'm afraid that you're not gonna have you're not gonna keep me in that same regard. So because of that insecurity, because of that identity and that perceived perception, it's just better for me to lie, be dishonest, or to omit what's really going on. Because I want you to always keep me in my high graces. But what a lot of people don't understand, and with human nature, it's actually the opposite. It's actually better when you are honest. People can respect you more. Now, they may not always appreciate the results, but at least they can respect you more. At least they can say, hey, you know what? That person was honest with me. Things are going to happen. Life is not always going to be peachy. Things are not always going to go according to plan. But by you being honest with somebody, it'll help. Sometimes you have to have those difficult conversations. And lastly, awareness and self-awareness, which is very, very important, which most people don't have, especially parents. So awareness, meaning that in general, in general, being aware of certain things. But most parents in general are aware that they're not giving it their all when it comes to being a parent. And I'm not always just talking about spoiling, but I'm just talking about in performance in general. They know. But some of them don't know. But also some of them are conscious of that they don't know. So they continue to act like they don't know when they're conscious of it. So they can avoid the accountability and the responsibility. Because if they know and they're conscious of what they don't know. Then that way they can duck accountability and responsibility. Because I used to see this in corporate all the time. Where I was dealing with a colleague. And they was conscious about what they didn't know. But they also was con made a conscious decision to make sure they don't know what they don't know. So that if something comes up. 
that way they feel like they decreasing their risk at work because then they can be honest and say, well, hey, I don't know. And that is true. You don't know, but you're conscious of what you don't know. And you don't want to try to know what you don't know. So that when somebody asks you, you can say, hey, I don't know. It's all psychological. It's, it's intentional. And some parents do that. They are aware of what they don't know. But they want to make sure, especially the child, is not aware of what they don't know. So that the child don't question them and be like, hey, well, why don't you know that? It's one of those, hey, there's nothing to see here type thing. But once again, a lot of parents also suffer with self-awareness. Here's the reason why most of us in society suffer from self-awareness. Which once again comes down to ego and insecurity. Because some people feel like they have to be superheroes all the time. We all going to come up short. We all going to make mistakes. That's a part of the human condition. But it really just comes down to the confidence and the competence and even part of the resourcefulness of yourself. Meaning that being secure with yourself, being secure with your identity, being secure with who you are at the core. And not worrying about so much of what other people think. Or giving them agency over your emotional state. Oh, well, if I say this, if I'm honest with them, does that mean my kids won't look up to me anymore? Or as an executive, if I tell my subordinates this, then they're going to think I'm incompetent. The real incompetence is not telling them. It's not communicating with them. There's different ways to communicate different things. If you feel like the raw, honest truth is too much for you, or if you feel like they may not be able to handle it, then you need to find a strategic way to communicate that, but they still should not. Now let's talk about growing up in different decades, but also in different economies. And she make a great point here too. So the young Gen Z young lady, like she says, you know, Gen X always talking about, oh, just go out there and, you know, make something in selfie. You got all this opportunity, just do it, just do it, just do it, like Nike. But she made a very great point. When Gen X was growing up, it's a completely different economy than when they growing up now. It's a way a lot more adverse. It's a way a lot more turmoil. But also, too, if they were not taught the basics, how they going to handle advanced things when the economy is not so good? Because it's different strategies for different economies and for different times. 
So the strategies that you will use when it's going good is not the same strategies you can use when the economy is bad or when they're having uh, trouble. I mean, like we said, you know, Gen X, they grew up in the 90s. Right? 80s and 90s. The 90s was the golden decade. It was flowing with opportunity. Even me being a millennial, me growing up in the 90s, I thought that's what life was going to be like. I'm like, man, this is great. I'm like, I can't wait to get older. Why? Because I thought when I got older, I was going to experience the 90s. The golden decade when gas was less than a dollar per gallon. Like I said, that was the golden decade. And then even in the 2000s, it was a new decade, new opportunity, new technological advances. So, yeah, it was completely different for them. When Gen X was growing up in the 80s, 90s, and even fully maturing into the 2000s. But Gen Z is not dealing with that. Gen Z is dealing with the pandemic. Which, even for me, I had... I had no experience with this as a millennial. Yeah, we had the Great Recession, but this pandemic was something, and COVID, that was something unheard of. That's what they growing up in. They got new reports and new articles coming out talking about Gen Z struggling the most. But of course they're gonna be struggling the most. Like I said, part of this part of it is their own responsibility and part of it's not. Part of it is their own is because they entitled. But they also entitled because of social media, but also because of their upbringing, because of their parenting from Gen X. But then the other part is the whole competency thing. And as I always say, competency comes before compensation. So they have a hard time being compensated for the things that they want or getting the compensation for the things that they want to be compensated for, but they don't have the competency to get the compensation. I'll say that one more time. They're looking for compensation, but they don't have the competency to get the compensation. So, of course, it's going to be different. And because also, too, like I said, they also are not trying to be curious and to find things out. They'll try to find the easiest way out. But they're also like a spitting image of Gen X. When Gen X wanted to be social and have a good time, that's what Gen Z wants to do. Gen Z also wants to be social and have a good time. But it seems like it's skipping every generation where the middle generation is the ones that's becoming disciplined 
and want better results. So like us millennials that had or that have Gen X parents or maybe even late boomer parents, okay, we want better. So we realizing that, hey, we got to balance between being social and being disciplined. But now we even got Alpha, my son's generation, well, they're doing the same thing. Now they're being more disciplined. Now they're learning competency at an earlier age so that they can make sure they get the compensation that they want. And they're being set up better. But what also I'm afraid of is that skipping generation in the sense that when Gen Z start having children, B is going to be the beta is going to be the same thing. Oh, let's social and let's have fun. It's always let's have fun, but you ain't going to be young forever. You're going to struggle. And then, you know, like I said, once you get to a certain age, you can't blame your parents anymore. But also at the same time, you were doing what you just doing what your parents did. But yeah, different economies call for different strategies in order to get different results. This one going to sting just like the last one, which we kind of already talked about. But this picks up from the grandchildren treatment. And. She's right. She is so right with this one, too. So the young Gen Z young lady goes on. She say, okay, let me get this straight. You don't know how to be parents, but you have opinions on how to raise their grandchildren. I'm going to say that one more time. You don't know how to really be parents. But you got opinions on how to raise your grandchildren. This goes back to what I talked about and the whole grandchildren treatment segment. This is where the upbringing comparison comes into place. So now because as the grandparent, you have all of this wisdom, you have all this advice. So now you know what? On how I should raise my child. Let me compare my upbringing that you gave me. To the way you feel like I should raise my child, your grandchild. And it's going to get real ugly. It's not going to be nice. The metaphoric gloves are going to come off. (laughs) We going to start seeing some deficiencies. Between the two upbringings. So it's basically saying, okay, you want to go there? Fine. Let's go there. And then it's also the irony. That's really what makes this dangerous. I'm really that makes this thing is the irony. But the subliminal message is this. Okay. If you so wise, if you know so much, 
then why didn't you get that to me? I'll say that again. If you're so wise or if you know so much, why didn't you get that to me? Because obviously you're an expert on how your grandchild should be raised. But everything that you're telling me on how I should raise my child, your grandchild, you didn't do for me. So you see the disconnect here? You see the irony here? Don't worry. We'll wait. We're waiting for the answer because we're dying to know. I mean, because you were so focused on the basics of raising us, millennials and Gen Z. But now when it comes to alpha and beta, you're a world-class expert on what they should be getting to ensure to ensure future success for them. Cause even me as a millennial that is refereeing this warfare, I'm curious too. Because parents do have opinions. Especially Gen X parents. They got a lot of opinions. They got a lot of things to say about a lot of things. But when it's time for you to push back, it's a problem. It's not fun when the bully becomes, when the bully gets bullied. It's fine for the bully to bully everybody else. But then now when the bully gets bullied, it ain't fun. Well, as we also see in America, it's not fun when the rabbit got the gun. The hunter go hunt the rabbit. But what happens when the rabbit gets the gun and now the rabbit is hunting the hunter? It's not fun, is it? So that's the same thing that's going on here. Okay. You got so much wisdom and you so wise. And you want to ensure that your grandchild gets this and your grandchild gets that. Okay, fine. Okay, that's cool. If that's the case, if you so wise, then why did you get that to me? Because there was nothing but space and opportunity as well. So what's your answer? Because we dying to know. I mean, we're so excited. We're anxious. We want to know. Because you're a great parental philosopher on this. So expound on your philosophy. Expound on your theory. Uncle Phil mentions that there were some parental mistakes that his generation, Gen X, made uh, with Gen Z as compared to his parents that are the boomers. He goes on to say, the mistake that Gen X made with Gen Z was wanting to give them more than what I had. So, in the African American community, or even in American culture, we have this saying, you want to give your kids or your children more than what you had. And that's figuratively and literally. Meaning that, um, first, uh, figuratively. 
I want to give you the tools, the resources necessary so that you can go farther than I ever was because you're not starting from the bottom. You have a foundation. So by me giving one to give you more than what I had, I'm giving you a great foundation to give you the potential and opportunity to have the best life possible and your end result to supersede my end result because you're starting um, at a further place in life than I did. Now, uh, physically, or literally, you want to give your kids more than what you had. You want to show them, you know, the good life. You know, you want to try to protect them as best as possible. But you just, you know, you want them to have a, a good life, and you also want them to be proud of the fact that, you know, and even grateful that you're their parent as compared to somebody else's parent. But here are the three parental mistakes that I got from that statement when he said that. Number one, not working as teenagers. And that's so true. Uh, Gen Z, they never really had no teenage jobs. I know me. Being a millennial, my first job was as a teenager. I was 17 years old. Uh, when I got my first job, uh, Gen Z uh, teenagers, they're not working. They're not being taught the, the, the power of responsibility and, you know, working and getting a paycheck and managing your money. They're not being taught these things. So uh, he's absolutely right. Uh, you know, not working as teenagers. I mean, even my little brother, my little brother is a, a later uh, millennial, but yeah, he wasn't even working when he was a teenager. He didn't start working until, you know, maybe his mid-20s. But my mom had me working when I was a teenager to teach me about the importance of responsibility. Uh, so as you can see, uh, we both had a uh, Gen X mother, but and we both are from the millennial generation, but we got different experiences growing up. The next mistake that Uncle Phil says was uh, less chores. That is so true. Uh, definitely less chores. It seems, you know, as the generations are starting to progress, you know, these kids are not really, as we say in African American, earning your keep. You're a part of this family, and you can't work, but you can do chores because you're gonna benefit from the family. And same thing, when I was younger, my mom had me doing chores, my grandma had me doing chores, my grandfather had me doing chores. When I go to family members' houses, I had chores. My little brother, same thing, he didn't have so many chores. And even now, you can tell um, uh, with Gen Z, uh, they're not really doing too many chores. Uh, I may have mentioned this, but I work, I work at a university, and I interact with uh, Gen Z all day, every day. And based on the conversations that I have with them, it's pretty highly unlikely that they're not really doing chores uh, as compared to how, you know, Gen X or even the millennials when we were growing up, when we had to do chores. And uh, last but not least is what I kind of alluded to earlier was less responsibility. Uh, there's less responsibility for these kids. And then, and unfortunately, 
when they got into the real world, they don't have the competency, they don't have the experience. So everything winds up being, oh, let me call my mom, let me call my dad. My mom said this, my dad said that. And it's, it's clearly showing that these kids are completely unprepared for the real world. And not everybody's gonna cuddle them and hold their hand like their parents are. So um, I totally agree uh, with Uncle Phil on this part regarding parental mistakes that Gen X made with Gen Z. Leaving the nest, Uncle Phil goes on to say, we wanted to leave our parents' house because we wanted to be grown, make our own decisions and live how we wanted to live. You can't be grown in somebody else's house. And that was his response to one of the comments from the young GZ African-American woman. So let's break this down. We wanted to leave our parents' house because we wanted to be grown. Let's stop right there. You're right. Gen X wanted to leave your parents' house. Why? I keep trying to tell you that X stands for rebellion. I don't want to do this. I don't want to live this way. I want to do my own thing. So, of course, you wanted to uh, leave your parents' house. Not only that, there was also some foundation that you had that gave you the confidence, which may have led to false competence, for you wanting to make that decision to want to leave your parents' house. Because I highly doubt that if you didn't have that confidence, which was reinforced through competence from your parents, you would not be trying to leave your parents' house. Why? Because you wouldn't know what to do. It would be too foreign. Yeah, you may want to go out and have fun, but you still have to understand how you're going to survive. So your parents, the boomers, our grandparents, had competency in, par in, in parental leadership and parental training for you to even want to have this confidence to lead a house at an early age. Next, we wanted to make our own decisions. You right, because you wanted to break tradition because it was, it was boring. It wasn't sexy. So you figure, okay, hey, well, you know what? I know this ain't my house. I don't want to make my own decisions. So let me go out and do what I want to do. And I'm just going to keep it. Uh, well, I'll wait because I'm going to tie this next part in too. And then he said they wanted to live how they wanted to. You're right. So you wanted to leave. You wanted to make your own decisions. And you wanted to live how you wanted to. That's fine. But here's the problem though. You live how you wanted to. Gen X created a huge generation, the millennials and even Gen Z, which we had these, what I can call baby boomer 2.0 and baby boomer 3.0. But the problem was this. Y'all was living how y'all was living and y'all was making y'all decisions. But y'all was also having children 
And this is a point that I want to make. And I'm going to keep it 100% honest with you. Most of you were not competent enough to become parents. I'm going to say that one more time. At that time, especially for the millennials in the 90s, most Gen Xers was not competent enough to become parents. How do I know this? Because you could ask most millennials, that's because your grandparents pretty much raised you. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. Most millennials, our grandparents raised us. Why? Because our parents were deficient in parental leadership. Going back to they wanted to be grown. They wanted to make their own decisions. They wanted to live how they wanted to live. So they wanted to live free and carefully, but they didn't want to have no responsibility when it came to raising the children that they created with the sexual partners at that time. And because they had that foundation, well, my parents can always help me. My parents can watch my child. So that was the difference. So it wasn't like Gen X was completely competent when it came to parents. And you saw your grandparents on the weekend. Or you saw your grandparents every so often. No. Your, your, your grandparents might have been dropping you off to school, picking you up from school, taking you to doctor's appointments, taking you to special activities while your mother or your father work. So let's not act like there was these super competent parents because I'm pretty sure most of them were not, especially in African-American community. Now, he's right. Okay, you can't be grown in somebody else's house. Now, yeah, granted, for Gen Z, you're right. You can't be grown in somebody else's house, right? But just like how you had the confidence to lead, you're not providing the confidence for Gen Z to want to leave because they want to leave, but they didn't know they don't have the competency. They don't know how to survive on their own. But then again, they frustrated with the, with the low results that they're currently getting. So that's causing this strife. So they stuck between the rock and the hard place. I want to be grown. I want to move out, but I don't have the competency to do that. But then again, I got to put up with these lacklusters and these low results from my parents because I want more. Because it was low standards and the bar was set so low, especially in the African-American community. So, once again, like I said, as a millennial myself, I experienced that same frustration. So, it's going to take patience. It's going to take consistency and competency for uh, the Gen Xer to want to leave the nest. But similar to Gen X, like I said... Gen X and Gen Z are just two sides of the same coin. Um, they're going to have to figure it out. And hopefully, uh, sooner than later, we're revisiting the conversation of I did the best that I could. Uncle Phil goes on to say, your parents did the best that they could. You wouldn't be alive. He also goes back to the basics, the food, the clothing, the shelter, and safety. And mentions how uh, Gen Z is unappreciative. Well, 
this segment here is going to be kind of cool because like I said, I've already touched upon this. This is just to add additional commentary or just to provide a reminder. Your parents did the best that they could. As I said before, no, they didn't. They could have, but they didn't. They did the best that they wanted to do. So that's that. I'm, and I'm going to leave that at that. They did the best they wanted to do, not the best that they could. Second, you wouldn't be alive. That is true. But once again, like I said, yes, they wouldn't be alive. But you brought them here. So you should have set things up for them. If you're going to engage in adult activity, you need to engage in adult responsibility. I'm going to say that one more time. If you're going to engage in adult activity, you need to engage in adult accountability and responsibility. Three, the basics. The food, the clothing, the shelter, and safety. Once again, that's what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to get a pat on the back because that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to provide food, clothing, shelter, and safety for your children. I mean, even Animal Kingdom, they do that. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's not like it's... That's just species. That's just a part of any species. That's what they do. They food. They feed. They clothe if necessary. They find shelter and they create safety for their young. That's what they're supposed to do. Then he goes, okay, y'all unappreciative. Okay. Once again, just because you disagree with somebody. And just because your standards may be lower than mine. And you, quote, unquote, did the best that you could versus the best that you wanted to. Now, all of a sudden, that makes you unappreciative. How is that? I mean, from my perspective, how is that being you mentioning you unappreciative? That's what you're supposed to do. But once again, when you when you disagree with somebody, you're going to say, oh, well, you unappreciative. Now, if there was more contextual reference outside of the basics, like if you went above and beyond and you did something and then they didn't show any gratitude or appreciation for that, that would be considered unappreciative. But for the basics, nah. I wouldn't say that's unappreciative. Like I said, we have a difference of opinion. But just because we have a difference of opinion and we talk about the basics and the foundational stuff, then that makes me unappreciative. But like I said, uh, I'm going to leave it at that um, in regards to the whole, uh, I did the best that I could when it really is, I, I did the best that I wanted to. I knew we was eventually going to get to this uh, immigration Right, immigration to the United States. So Uncle Phil goes on to say, there's millions of immigrants coming to the United States of America. And they show gratitude, humility, and appreciation. Now, we have to take three things into consideration. Culture, economies 
and lifestyle philosophers. So we got to take that into consideration when he mentioned uh, immigration. But let's talk about it. Okay, the gratitude, the humility, and appreciation. When you come from another country, and that may be either uh, poor or developing, and you come to one of the most rich, resourceful countries, the land of opportunity, where you can make something of yourself, and where the living conditions are primarily better in most countries. Because being poor or struggling in America is still better than being poor in other poor or developing countries. So, of course, if you're coming from another country, you're going to express gratitude, humility, and appreciation because you achieved your first goal, which was getting to the United States of America. So, of course, you're going to be more grateful and humble because of the opportunity. Next, different cultures, of course, different cultures have different uh, values. So, the values are different. Most of them are not used to growing up in abundant things that we take for granted here. So, yeah, they come in, and it's, it's, it's different cultures because it's different values. Then, two economies. The economies are different. The United States still has one of the best economies in the entire world. I believe there's 196 countries. And the United States, I believe, is in, definitely in the top 10 as far as economies is concerned. So, of course. And then lifestyle philosophy. They live, most of them live different lifestyles, which is catered more around uh, family and stability and inter intergenerational teamwork to ensure long longevity of the family. So, of course, it's going to be different from somebody that come from a different country. But I know the point that he was really, Uncle Bill really was trying to make that, say, hey, look, these immigrants come over here, they got gratitude, humility, and appreciation. You homegrown, you got no gratitude, you got no humility, and you got no a little appreciation. But the reason for that is, is because we have a different culture, because we have a different economy, because we have different lifestyles. That's the disconnect. So, of course, they're going to have that. Not only that, it goes different. Uh, the lifestyle philosophy, like I said, is catered more on family. It's catered more on development and collaboration. Whereas, you know, family is usually put first. Whereas in the African-American community, family is not always put first. Now, when we have a celebration, yeah, everybody's united, but it's not like that on a day-to-day -day basis. Next up, Uncle Phil talks about the immigration hustle. And this is basically about immigrants that come to the United States for a better life. And they wind up achieving it. Whereas us homegrown Americans, we've been here our whole life. 
and we seem to struggle worse than the actual immigrants who really don't know how our financial system really works and started with less resources. So he first says that, okay, they come over here, they got no credit. Now, credit has two primary basic components, leverage and trust. But in order for you to get leverage, you need trust. And in order for you to get trust, it's based on your history, past and present. So based on your past and present history will lead to your trust. And the more trust that you earn, the more leverage that you can earn, which is basically what credit is. It's just a promise to pay or trust that you will pay. Next, no financial literacy. So he mentions that they come over here, they don't have a lot of financial literacy, but they seem to still be successful. The next thing he talks about is kind of something that I alluded to earlier is that they also don't know nothing about the American system completely or completely about the American values as well. They may have seen something on television or online on the Internet, but they don't fully comprehend and understand how the American system works. He says they have one basic philosophy. They say they want to work, and they come over here and get out the mud. Now, I kind of agree with him on some things. Yes, they come over here with no credit. They come over here with no financial literacy. And they don't really know about the American system. And they do come to work. And they are hard workers because they're grateful for the opportunity because a lot of opportunity that we do have in America are not in other countries. And they want better for themselves. So eventually they can send money back home for their friends and family. So he do he's right. I will say that that immigrants do have us beat, especially when it comes to work ethic or when it comes to um, consistency as well. But that is only one half of the start. So we're going to get ready to talk about the second half of the story. So now let's talk about what are some things that immigrants do that make them successful. First of all, they usually have a five-year timeline. That's right. A five-year timeline. Usually when they come to the United States, their goal is, okay, I want to see how much can I achieve in a five-year time frame. So they get to work, pun intended. But part of that five years, they're focusing on two things. They're focusing on consistency and compounding. I'll say that again. They're focused on consistency and also focused on compounding. They want to be consistent. Okay, cool. We have this opportunity. We have to milk it. 
So let's just be as consistent as possible. The next thing is we don't just want to be consistent. We want to compound on top of the consistency because we want to see progress and we want to see growth. And the best way we can do this is by compounding. So those are two things that they do when it comes to the five-year timeline is they be consistent and they compound. Next, houses, cars, and businesses. That's right. Houses, cars, and businesses. So they also leverage that opportunity. And what they do is they're able to buy a house. They're able to have cars, but more importantly, able to have businesses. And it's because they don't blow their stuff on things that are uh, material. As Gary Vaynerchuk says, who comes from an uh, immigrant family, like he said, immigrants don't spend their money on dumb stuff. They're very smart with their money. Hence the reason why a lot of times they outperform us Americans in our own uh, us Americans in our own country. So they leverage opportunity. But this is the big difference between the African American community and immigrants that come from other countries. And this is something that I wish that Uncle Phil would have elaborated on. Cause he's talking about hope. How, you know, they come over here and they just get out the mud. But let's look at this philosophy and the psychology behind them getting out the mud, so to speak. So cultural differences, number one, they practice group economics. That was a term that I heard that may have been coined by uh, Dr. Claude Anderson, who I think wrote a book called Group Economics. But the immigrants practice group economics. And what that basically means is they pay it forward. In the sense that if you're from the same country, then you want to help that person that's coming from our home country get acclimated in America. So, for example, if you're a Cuban, you're coming from Cuba, Cubans that are already came from Cuba or Cubans that may have been born in America... Because we're from the same country, okay, cool. And because I may have a little bit of resources, I'm going to help you out because you're just getting here. Colombians. Colombians that are already here that are established, they're going to tend to help uh, the Colombians and Puerto Ricans and so on and so on, right? So even if you're an immigrant, you're coming from another country, you're not starting at the bottom. Why? Because your um, ethnicity practices group economics something that in african-american community we don't do that anymore but they practice group economics next is family funding meaning that yes family funding family businesses that means also too so not just you practicing group economics with your ethnicity or with your culture you're also practicing group economics when it comes to your family so if somebody in your family owns a business, you would usually hire that family member, even if it's a low-paying, entry-level job, they will have a job too when they come here. So those are the two cultural differences. So that's another reason too why a lot of immigrants are able to come over here and do very well. I mean, we do have some entitled Americans where they feel like certain jobs are beneath them. And because they were born in this country, they feel like that's beneath them. 
Meanwhile, immigrant come over here, they do it, they move their way up. They build trust. And in five, ten years' time, they've doubled your production of what you've had in double the time. So, yes, that's how immigrants become successful uh, when they move to America. Next, calling your husband. Now, I get it, Uncle Phil was frustrated, but I felt that this is a real disingenuous argument. So, Uncle Phil asked the young Gen Z African-American, where's your husband, right? And I feel like this is disingenuous because he knows that, number one, the mothers did not provide the blueprint, and then two, the father wasn't in the home. So, like I said, that's a very, I felt like that was a low blow, and that was a very disingenuous argument when you already know that the young lady does not come from that background. So, like I said before, number one, the mothers did not provide the blueprint on how to get a husband. That's one of the biggest plagues in the African-American community is that the women in the African-American community, they don't teach the young ladies on how to get a husband. It's not really talked about. And if they do get a husband, they don't teach them how to keep a husband. Because they feel like, oh, well, strong. this is where the whole strong independent thing comes from. So you're growing up and everything is culture based. So you're growing up and your mother don't teach you the importance of having a husband and she don't teach you how to get a husband. So more than likely, you won't have a husband. Next, the fathers are not in the home. Or, or they're not active to provide a blueprint on what to look for in a husband. Once again, if you're not in a home, and with so many African Americans born to single parents, primarily single mothers, um, it's hard when the father's not in the home. But not even that. It's also hard if the father's not active. So they don't know what to look for. So that's a double whammy. Okay, so he's not ready in the home. But if you do see him, he ain't really active. It's every blue moon or it's very casual. So they don't know what to look for in a husband. And then last but not least, so they just accept modern woman independence. Well, my mama didn't teach me how to find and get a husband. My daddy's not here to teach me what to look for in a husband. My mother taught me to be independent because that's what she has to do. She has to be independent because my father is not here. Now, I will say it's twofold. Yes, part of it is that men don't really want to take responsibility uh, for their children. Also, too, I will say that a lot of women are not selecting the best uh, potential or future fathers for their children. So you're not going based on his character. 
you're going based on his physical attractiveness. So a lot of women in the African-American community, they will select a guy to procreate with based on how he looks physically and his physical attributes. And then they start, you know, fantasizing about what their children are going to look like physically. But a lot of times the children are shallow on the inside because there's, there's no development on the inside. Yeah, you had a genetic makeup on the outside, but there's no development on the inside. Hence the dilemma that we currently face, or one of the dilemmas we currently face in the African-American community. Okay, so Uncle Phil mentioned something about there's an immigration necessity. He goes on to say, I see why we need immigrants, because y'all are lazy. Referring to Gen Z, right? Now, granted, I don't want to necessarily say they're lazy. Now, this may be different priorities and entitlement, but I don't want to necessarily say they're lazy, but hey, that's one man's opinion. But my question would be, who raised and developed these lazy young adults? That's what my question would be. So it's one thing for you to say, oh, well, I see why we need immigrants because y'all are lazy. Okay, that's fine. But who raised and developed these lazy young adults? Because accountability stings. It really does. Accountability really stings. So that's my question. It would be to Uncle Phil and uh, Gen X would be who raised and developed these lazy young adults. So next, Uncle Phil addresses the you didn't teach me argument, right? So first he talks about blaming, right? He mentions how Gen Z... Is always blaming, right? Now, that's one way to look at it. But I wouldn't necessarily say it's necessarily blaming. It could necessarily just be, you know, accountability. But I think it would be the way in which it's communicated in order for it to be classified as accountability or for it to be classified as blaming. That's what I would say. But he says that, okay, they're blaming. Then he goes on to say, okay, you didn't teach me this. You didn't teach me that, right? But, I mean, if the facts are the facts, I mean, they're irrefutable. So, either you did teach or you did not teach. That is the question. And like I said, even from me, in my opinion, and then from my experience, and from the people that I know in the millennial generation, we kind of got the short end. Well, we kind of felt like we got the short end of the stick too, as well. Uh, here's the whole, like I said, once again, here's the whole reason why we're having this conversation in the first place. This whole development warfare. Gen X had a prime opportunity to set everything up, especially in the African American community, and they didn't. All we're saying is just take accountability for it. That's all we're saying.
then he goes on to say, oh, nobody knows everything. Nobody said anybody know everything. We just asked for accountability. That's it. Of course, nobody knows everything. Everybody learns for something. You know, knowledge acquisition is applied three ways. I talk about this all the time. There's three ways to get knowledge acquisition. Number one, trial and error. Number two, research. So, of course, if you research something, you don't know everything. So you got to go research it. And then, of course, number three, which is the accelerators, mentors, coaches, consultants, trainers, and advisors. So, of course, nobody knows everything. Here's the reason why you have accelerators to help you accelerate your process and your progress. So, of course, it only makes sense. So then he goes on to say, well, you know, uh, my parents taught me the basics. And here's is what he lists as uh, here's what he lists as the basics. He lists uh, work ethic, good moral character, how to be a husband, and how to be a father. That's what he lists as the basics. Work ethic, I agree with him, is important. Good moral character, which is very, very important. How to be a husband, like I said. That's one of the last teaching generations, so it's kind of hard for him to be like, well, my parents told me this. But that's something that they should have been passing down. Now, I think he has a son, and that may be something that he passed down. That may be something that he passed down to his son, but that's not something that's passed down as a whole in the community. So that's why when he made the whole husband comment, that's why I felt it was disingenuous. Because, yeah, he may have done it, but that's not how majority of the community thinks. How to be a father. If you're a father, you take, you take responsibility for being a father. Unfortunately, all the people in his generation didn't follow that. And like I was just saying before, the boomers were the last real generation to teach that. Gen X skipped the responsibility and replaced it with fun and individual priorities. I'm going to say that one more time. Boomers were the last real generation to teach the good work ethic the good moral character, how to be a husband, how to be a father. The boomers were the last one to do that. Gen X, on the other hand, they skipped the responsibility part and they replaced it with fun and individual priorities. So even if you are, even if you did procreate with a woman in the African-American community, right? And you found out that you're going to be a father. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to... Uh, take on a responsibility a lot of them was just like okay well okay cool I'm finna still go on and have fun I'm finna still be focused on my own individual projects instead of making your new son or daughter a priority so Uncle Phil's solution to them not teaching is well you know what okay let's say we didn't teach you right 
But now you need to know what you need to know. You need to get it. You need to get it on your own. So, yeah, we as a generation may have not taught you. But now you need to know how to get the note on your own. That's what you need to do. That's what I had to do. I had to figure it out. I had to learn it on my own. So, yeah, we didn't. We may have not have taught you it, but this is what you need to take responsibility for knowing it on your own, even if your parents didn't teach you, right? So, once again, he gives some recommendations. Number one, he says pay for it, which is what I just previously talked about with the accelerators. That's how you get the information or the knowledge that you need to know. You pay for it. You can pay for it through accelerators, but that is how you get to know what you really need to know. Two, school. You go to school to learn. But when you're in school, make sure you take notes, make sure you're attentive, make sure you know you're really trying to like lock in and pay attention to what's actually really going on when you're in school. Next, he said you could take a course, which I've learned a lot from courses. I mean, this takes uh, patience and this takes uh, developing in oneself, but at the same time, it is durable, so you can take a course. And then, of course, like everybody always say, Google and YouTube. There's so much you can learn from Google and YouTube. Now, a lot of times, though, with Google and YouTube, yeah, you can learn from it, but it don't give you the 100%. So I believe you're still going to need additional resources still to accomplish your goal. But, you know, Google and YouTube is a great place to start where you can at least get 50 or maybe 70 or 80% of what you really need. And then you just got to go out and figure out the other 20 to 30% uh, as far as that. But, yeah, those are Uncle Phil's recommendations as far as, like, you trying to figure out, okay, how to get uh, the no you know, on your own. Okay. So here he go. Uncle Phil says about teaching. He says, I can teach you, but you don't want to receive it. Hmm. This sounds very, very interesting, right? Sounds like almost two sides of the same coin. Then he mentions the, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Okay. I can teach you, but you don't want to receive it. Seems like the same thing some of y'all Gen X's did with the boomers. When the boomers try to teach y'all certain things, same thing probably was going on. They probably wanted to teach you, but you probably didn't want to receive it, right? Then you say the whole, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, which is true. Which is true. But this is also where active parenting comes in at from when they're little. You have to train a child when they're little. You have to instill habits, culture, disciplines, routines, standards when they are little. You can't wait till they get bigger and then you want to try to, it's going to be too late. So everything needs to be downloaded or installed before the age of seven. Once seven hit, that's when everything, you know, pretty much lock in. So if you can teach them all of the important stuff before the age of seven, then you have a higher chance of them retaining what you really want them to retain. 
But if you wait till they 10, 12, 15, or even 18 to try to teach them some of the fundamental stuff, you're going to have a hard time. You're probably going to be met with resistance. That's probably what you're going to be met with. Next, he talks about, okay, wall damage, a.k.a. hitting a wall in the sense of now you're going to have challenges, now you're going to have adversities. What you going to do now? Or as I like to say, the brick mentality. You get hit upside the head with a brick. Now what are you going to do when you get hit over the head with a brick? Especially if you, you, know, you don't have the competency to handle that. And he made some great points. You know, you hit that wall, you had those challenges, you had adversity. It's like, now, what do you do? How do you overcome this? You know, there has to be a way uh, for you to handle that. Now, like I said, you know, knowledge acquisition, you can learn through trial and error. But if you have somebody that will help you, lead you, and guide you, and teach you, it makes the situation a whole lot uh better but um you either gonna have to like i said you either going to develop the experience yourself um you're gonna have to uh overcome it or you might want to find some accelerators to help you uh with that process then he goes okay when you hit the wall well you had these challenges and adversities now uh, you know, you think you know everything. And because you think you know everything, now you find out that you know very little. And um, I could butcher this. I think it was uh, Socrates was the one who says that I know that I know nothing. Like being humble. Basically saying that even though people consider me wise and even though people cons- may consider me to be all-knowing or highly knowing, I know what I don't know. And I know that I don't know a lot. And that's basically what he's saying. But, I mean, we've all been there. We've all had experiences where we thought we really do something. And then until we actually had that experience... We really find out how much we really did not know. And it can be a very humbling experience. Uncle Phil says that Gen Z, they have the biggest mouth, but they can't produce on their own. I hate to say it, but to a certain degree, I I, I believe him. From my experiences with... uh, Gen Z, and of course they are limited and anecdotal, but he do make some great points in the sense that, yeah, there are a few uh, Gen Zers that they have a lot of mouth. Their mouth is so big. They talk so much about what they can do. But then when you put them to the test, actually produce something they either don't produce nothing of higher quality or they can't really produce too much of nothing. And I hate to say this, but a lot of them can't fight their fight they way out of a paper bag. It is sad. It is truly sad. 
But yeah, it's it's true. Okay, so Uncle Phil wants to compare economic conditions from when he was growing up versus compared to when even the millennials or even Gen Z is growing up. So he goes, economy is always hard when I grew up. That's not true. That is not true at all. Right? So, Uncle Phil grew up in the 80s and 90s. And I'm here to tell you, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. Right? So, by the 90s, Uncle Phil was probably in his late teens, early 20s. I was still a child. And I can tell you right now, thinking back on it and looking at the history, the 90s was a golden era. It was golden. We had, especially in the United States, we had a surplus. We had a huge surplus. Huge surplus. So, I don't want to hear nothing about that. Oh, yeah, the 90s. Yeah, the 90s. But the economy was booming in the 90s. I was excited to grow up because I thought the 90s, I'm like, okay, cool. If my life is going to be like the 90s, sign me up. I'll take that deal every day. Even now, looking back on the 2000s when Uncle Phil Potter might have been selling in his career or really, you know, making some strides in his career. Even the 2000s, the early 2000s, was still good. It still wasn't that bad. As compared to now with us millennials and Gen Z's, 2008, the Great Recession, yeah, that economy was no joke. That economy was way worse in the 90s, even with the whole even in the late 80s, early 90s with the whole savings and loans crisis 2008 was a global recession, come on man it's not even close then we're not even going to talk about 2020 with the pandemic, that was something that most of us had never seen I mean the 2020 pandemic was almost bad as the Great Depression The Great Depression, that decade was the only decade or a couple of years that was worse than, than the pandemic. I mean, we had a global pandemic. Everything was pretty much shut down. You really couldn't do too much. So for him to try to compare and be like, oh, well, you know, the economy was always hard when I was growing up. Okay. Like I said, Uncle Phil was born maybe late 60s, early 70s, if that. You're going to say always hard when you was growing up? I mean, and I respect Uncle Phil. I really do. But, bro, the 90s was cake. The 90s was gold. Even in the 2000s, it was still a good time. As compared to the 08 recession in the 2020 pandemic.
Next up, he says that Gen Z is weak. He says, and I quote, Gen Z is very weak, end quote. Now, I will say they're underdeveloped, so I guess maybe you can say, if you want to use it as an inference, but I will say they're highly underdeveloped. Highly. Once again, it goes back to why are they underdeveloped? Now, part of it could be rebellion, but they have that same rebellious spirit from Gen X. But at the same time, why are they weak? He says it comes down to the basics. What, when, how, and why? That's what he says. He said a lot of things in life, a lot of problem solving, or a lot of things in life come down to what, when, how, and why. And he's basically saying that they have a hard time with the basics. Basics. And that they're very weak. But like I said, they are underdeveloped. But the question could be we could apply the same logic. What made them weak? When did they become weak? How did they become weak? And why are they weak? Okay, here we go. We finally made it. We made it to the last segment in this series. This is the grand finale. This is the final segment. This is the final thing I want to leave you guys with, right? And let's talk about instinct versus intelligence. Yes, that's right. Instinct versus intelligence. You may be thinking, Joe, what are you talking about? How does this instinct versus intelligence thing and why do you decide to end that? I'm going to tell you exactly why, right? So, because Uncle Phil loves to compare us to animals. So I said, okay, he wants to do that. Let's talk about it, right? Okay. So, because he talked about how animals uh, teach their young and how, you know, they survive and everything else, right? So let's make those comparisons then, right? Number one, animals survive better than humans in modern society. That was his commentary, right? He says that a lot of animals survive better than humans in modern society, right? But this is what he's not taking into consideration. Animals, especially wild animals, is based off of instinct. Humans is based off of intelligence, right? So instinct, natural, that's DNA. That's how God, the creator, the source, Big Bang, whatever you believe in. That's how animals were created. They was created off of instinct. It's natural, right? They don't have higher faculties of intelligence and intellect. All they know is instinct. That's how they think. They only got one mode, which is instinct. They don't have intelligence. And intelligence has to be developed. It has to be compound. It has to be accumulated. It has to be acquired. That's how intelligence works. 
So animals' main goal is survival. Our main goal is survival based on the survival paradigm. But the way we separate from animals is that we have the potential to thrive. That is the difference between us. And that thriving is based off of our intelligence, right? So if you want to compare us, compare us all the way. Don't just be like, oh, well, you know, animals survive better than humans in modern society. Well, most of their environments are intact, but um, part of that is is because it's instinctual. Right? It's instinctual. Where the humans, we don't have instinct. We also have intelligence. Now, we can have things that become a habit that we call instincts, but we don't really have instincts. We have intelligence. So it's a choice, right? Your parents can choose to teach you. Your parents could choose to do very well and to do their best and to thrive. It's a creative ground, great foundation for you. Your parents get to choose that. That's a decision that they get to make. They don't have to do that. It's a decision. So he goes on to say that animals teach their young how to survive. There is training, right? Or what I would call a competency period, right? He's basically, he teach them how to hunt. They teach them how to collaborate. They teach them how to communicate. And they teach them how to find shelter. So hunting, you have to eat to survive. Collaboration. Most species have to work together to survive. Communication. They also have to know how to communicate with one another. And then shelter. They all have to find some place to live, right? So those are the basics, right? So I feel like Humans, especially African-American community, we should do the same thing. We should be taught about health, wealth, relationships, and on top of that, um, social interaction. Well, outside of relationships, we should be taught about adding value or even paying it forward or even succession or leaving a legacy. We should be talking about that too. But since we're talking about survival and survival really comes down to wealth, right? So we should be taught the basics about personal finance. We should be taught how to make money. We should be taught how to save money. We should be taught about debt and credit. We should be taught about investments. So I'll say that again. We should be taught about how to make money. We should be taught how to save money. We should be taught about debt and credit. We should be taught about investments.
And we should also be taught about lifestyle expenses, budgeting, allocation. We should be taught about that stuff, but we're not. So like I said, yes, he talked about us being compared to animals. About how, you know, animals do so much better than us. But that's because they're taught this stuff. Like I just said, they're taught how to hunt, collaborate, communicate, and they taught how to find shelter. But that's all based on instincts. When you have a parent and you have a large community and where it's a choice, it's not a must, it's an opportunity. You get to. Not that you have to. There's a difference between what you have to do and what you get to do. So that is the difference. So those are my final words. And I'll reiterate this like I mentioned it before. Gen X needs to focus on taking accountability for their actions. But they have a lot to say, but they don't want to take responsibility for their actions. My generation, the millennial generation, we need to focus on being more disciplined and have a stronger work ethic. We want our grandiose dreams to come alive, but we don't want to make the sacrifices. We don't want to be disciplined. We don't want to have a, a strong work ethic. And then Gen Z, right? Entitlement. They want credit just for showing up. They want life to be easier. It shouldn't be so hard. Why does it have to be so hard? Why can't people just do stuff for me? It don't always work that way. So those are my recommendations for Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Z. Once again, thank you for listening to this series. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Paradigms and Perspectives podcast. This concludes today's episode. We hope you really enjoyed yourself and you learned something from this episode. We want you to take those insights and these strategies and the blueprint and go out and execute them so that you can achieve your dreams and your goals in half the time or half the stress. Once again, thank you for listening to the Paradise of Perspectives podcast and we look forward to seeing you in another episode.